Welcome to the America in Focus podcast, powered by the Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire service. America in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. Joining me today, as he does every week, is Casey Harper, Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief for the Center Square. We're recording this on Friday, July 15th. More bad news on the inflation front this week, Casey, is two new government reports show the cost of just about everything can continue to rise. The monthly consumer price index report was released Wednesday, and the producer price index report was released Thursday. What's going on here, Casey? This may feel like a familiar story to a lot of our listeners, but uh, a couple of really high inflation data markers came out. Um, all the experts are very concerned about it. Biden is getting a lot of pushback. And I think we'll talk about it in that order going through, at, to use your words, our very high quality coverage coming out of the D.C. Bureau. So the uh, consumer oh, prices. Yeah, in, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Way to pat yourself on the back there, Casey. Hey, I'm just quoting my um, intrepid longtime uh, veteran boss, Dan McCaleb. So uh, the consumer prices, consumer price index comes out monthly. Uh, and the, the latest data, which came out this week, showed a 1.3% increase in June, uh, which is pretty high. And that led to, you know, helped contribute to a 9.1 uh, spike over the previous 12 months, which is the largest in 41 years. It's, you know, you may think, oh, well, inflation's been high for, for months now. I've been hearing the story, but 9.1% is actually like higher than the high inflation numbers that you probably heard about a few weeks ago or a few months ago. So, it's not only worse, but it's getting worse. And so that, that's a, you know, that's a really troubling marker for people. Um, a big reason that this and the producer prices, which we're going to talk about in a second, are higher is, is because of energy costs. Um, you know, it, it has not escaped uh, anyone that gas prices hit record high in June. They surpassed $5 per gallon um, for a gallon of you know, regular gasoline um, nationwide. Now it's dipped down since then. It's in the neighborhood of four dollars and sixty cents. But even that number is much higher than what we saw, you know, last year or even a couple of years ago. It's it's much higher. So while we have dipped slightly from the record high a few um, weeks ago, we're still very elevated gas prices. The same is true for diesel gasoline, which hit also hit record highs um, in the month of June before dipping down slightly. So gas prices, diesel gas prices. Um, overall, you know, high energy prices. We don't talk as much about things like natural gas, but those are up as well. So all that has helped um, just, you know, to use a, uh, the metaphor to pour, pour fuel on the fire of inflation, uh, which Whoa. has just made it rage even higher. Yeah, see, that's the kind of uh, thing you get when you tune into um, this podcast, Dan. That's, I know that's why you get up early to record it, but the uh, the numbers are getting worse. And I think I just want to emphasize that you may think this is like an old story in the sense that inflation is bad, but 9.1% spike in consumer prices is actually worse than, than what we've seen. So, you know, I, and we, I talked to, um, you know, a lot of experts on this. And when one said this week that they actually could easily see double digit inflation um, by this fall, uh, which would, you know, that would, that would uh, be really another really troubling sign. So the recent the, the recent dips in gas prices, despite the recent and, and and as you said, gas is still extremely high, but it has dropped um, uh, 30, 40 cents since uh, about 30 cents, I guess, since the record uh, high of more than five dollars a gallon nationally. Um, so the, the recent drop in gas prices, 
uh, experts are saying that that's that that is not going to turn inflation around. We're going to continue to see high prices on just about everything well into the fall. Yeah, Biden came out. You know, President Joe Biden came out uh, after these high inflation numbers and said that this was these numbers are outdated. And basically, this is just because we had this temporary spike in gas prices, which sent inflation numbers up for the month of June, and it's going to go away. Um, which, you know, there's probably a, a, there is some truth to that. Uh, but overall, it doesn't seem like it's going to make the kind of difference that he's pointing to. It seems like these numbers, inflation data is going to stay high, double digits in the fall. Um, and even though gas prices did dip down slightly, they're still much higher than they were this time last year. Right. Um, so it is, uh, he's, I think he's probably over um, emphasizing the point on gas. Well, and and I, I think it was, it was 14, 15 months ago when President Biden said inflation was transitory. Every single right. every single month since then, prices have gone up month over month, leading to you know this forty one year high um, inflation. So how how can you believe Biden on inflation anyway? Yeah, and he's also blamed it on uh, Putin. He called it Putin's price hike, but as you said, the prices have been going up for over a year, and you know Russia's invasion of Ukraine has only been a few months. So, but it's at the same time, you know, it's not totally untrue that Russia's invasion has raised prices. That's definitely true. They've raised food prices. Um, but it's kind of just disingenuous to say, oh, Russia's invasion and this, you know, um, spike in random spike in gas prices or what's going on here. Uh, there's like these problems are much deeper. They've been going on much longer. And so these kind of these defenses don't really uh, hold a lot of water when you look into them. So we've talked about the consumer price index. You referenced the producer price index, two separate um, reports. Tell us just briefly about the producer price index. Yeah, so the, the producer price index also came out on this week. It showed a 1.1% increase last month, uh, which is also high, and an 11.3% increase over the last 12 months, which is the largest increase, uh, one of the largest increases they've ever had since they began recording producer price index. It's only... Um, outdone by actually March of this year, which was 11.6%. So you may say, oh, it hasn't been a, a record in a couple of months. It's like, well, that's that's not a good thing. We've set two records in the last few months um, since this has been recorded. Uh, it, they also, you know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which released this data, also pointed to energy prices, said nearly 90% of the June increase um, can be traced to a 10% jump in prices for final demand energy. Um, so a big percentage of this is traced to energy um, but as we said, those energy prices aren't going down. You know, again, going back to some of these experts um, and critics, you know, want to talk to uh, Joel Griffith, Joel Griffith, an expert um, at the Heritage Foundation. He said that things are only going to get things are only going to get worse one way or another. This is reading from the story as Biden's economic policies are a double edged sword. This is quite possibly the last month of lingering economic factors, keeping inflation in the 8 percent range, um, which means the official CPI number could be in the 10% range by the fall. Um, wow. Yeah, and so, you know, he said inflation could slow down if gas prices go down a lot, but the problem with that is those prices are not dropping because of more supply, but because of a rising fear of recession. Um, so to quote him, no matter which way you turn, Biden's policies offer no relief. Um, and so, you know, I've talked to Joel many times. This is actually a, a statement he sent out, but it's it doesn't look good. And I think I, you know, didn't really do your request of doing this briefly, but I do just want to hammer this home. And on the recession thing, uh, technically we've already, you know, entered into a recession very likely because we've had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, it looks like. So 
any way you slice it, it, it doesn't it doesn't look good. Even even Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, uh, part of the Biden administration, came out and said inflation is unacceptably high. Um, she was among the people last year who was saying it was going to be transitory. Um, so is this right. about face or, or? Well, she admitted a, um, weeks ago that she was just wrong on inflation. She just outright admitted it. Um, and so that's, you know, that's not news that, that, you know, that about face has already happened. But she said this, at, you know, before meeting with G20 finance ministers, really at a, the global um platform in indonesia she's about to meet with all these world leaders and she just publicly said that inflation is way too high other nations are experiencing inflation but yeah to have the treasury secretary say this on the world stage is definitely pretty telling of course this is that we've talked about this uh, a lot in the last uh few months it's a midterm election year um uh, control of the u.s house and u.s senate is on the line both controlled by democrats of course biden is a democrat um but uh, people are starting to look ahead too to 2024 and whether or not mm -hmm. uh, uh, President Biden will seek re-election. You reported on a, two, a new poll this week where a majority of Democrats don't want the president to seek re-election. Tell us about this. That's right. And I'd love to hear maybe a little analysis from you on, Dan, on some of the reasons you think this is. But uh, the poll you reference is a New York Times-Siena College uh, poll that sparked a lot of controversy, got grabbed a lot of headlines. It was released on Monday, and it showed that only 26% of Democratic vo um, voters that were surveyed in the poll want Biden to be the party's nominee in 2024. Um, so, you know, that, I mean, that is just very low for incumbent um, party members, incumbent presidents. They usually have pretty broad support. It's easier for incumbents to win re-election. Uh, and one thing that was really interesting is that 94% of Democrats under 30 say they wanted um, a different, they want a different candidate in 2024. So, you know, this kind of uh, the Obama coalition, which gets out all the young voters um, and, and gets this big swell. Like, it doesn't look like that is in the cards for um, or in store for Biden in 2024 if he does run again. Uh, it also, you know, he's going to be well over 80 at that point, you know which is, uh, I think, worrisome for some people, especially given all the gaffes that he's had, all the times where he seems to kind of lose his train of thought, um, which may sound funny to some people listening to this podcast, uh, talking about you know people losing their train of thought and everything. But uh, Biden is currently 79 years old. He's going to be well over 80 then. Overall, his ap approval rating in the poll dropped to 33%, which really is very low when compared to other presidents at the, at the same time. So young voters have almost totally abandoned him. Approval rating is 33%, and only 26% of his own party wants him to run again. So, Dan, you know, how did this happen? What do you think? I mean, I think we could probably, there's some big guesses. We talked about inflation, but I think there's more to it than that. Well, I guess here's my here's my expert analysis on that, Casey. I do have mm -hmm. eyes. And, and your analysis on, you know, working in this, uh, this field over 80 would probably be helpful, too, since that's relevant to Biden now. <laughs> I, I do have eyes. I see. I, I do have ears. I can hear. I do fill mm -hmm. up my gas tank. I do go grocery shopping. Um, I mean, let's face it. Um, uh, you mentioned his age. As people get older, they they lose certain certain things. And Biden is clearly um, uh, not at the top of his game um, right now. You, you you see from these news conferences. You see when he's at, when he's asked questions. You, you mentioned gaffes. It's day in and day out where he's ha he has these 
these gas. And then you add, you know, inflation on top of it. You know, Americans' home finances is, is their top concern right now. And they, they, they can't afford uh, these higher prices, whether it is gasoline or whether it is groceries or whether it is health care. Um, um, things like that. It, it doesn't surprise me. Did you did, did you happen to see the video of uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom snoop, snooping around the White House this week while Biden's uh, uh, overseas? Uh, tell tell me about it. I did not see it. Yes, yeah, some some TV reporters and cameras caught Gavin Newsom um, uh, sneaking essentially into the White House while President Biden um, uh, is not there. He's He's, of course, uh, he was in Israel this week. He's in Saudi Arabia um, today. And they asked him what he was doing. And he didn't he, he just sort of joked with cameras or whatever. But that's he's been speculated as a potential a Democratic presidential candidate in 2024, assuming Biden does not run. Now, Biden has said that he plans to run, um, but I don't necessarily uh, buy that. So it was just, it was just an odd, um, just an yeah, odd that's thing. That's really interesting. It could be the perfect metaphor, too, for what's happening now. Gavin Newsom, who's attacked Ron DeSantis publicly, which also raised a lot of questions about whether he's you know, probably going to run in 2024. But Gavin Newsom trying to sneak into the White House um, while Biden is unaware, you know, that, that could be the perfect metaphor. And you, people might say, well, if Biden isn't going to run again, why would he say he is? Like, that doesn't make sense. But what I would say to that is that um, as soon as people know that you're not running for re-election as president, you really enter kind of a lame duck phase where nobody's going to work with you. You don't have the clout to get anything done legislatively. And so, you know, we see this in the second term of presidents a lot. The last two years, very little happens because they're not running for re-election. The opposing party knows they can just wait them out. Um, and so even if Biden isn't going to run for re-election, it does serve him in a way to say that he is because he will put push off that lame duck um, part of his of his term, right? And you, you you mentioned California Governor Newsom um, attacking Ron DeSantis. He, of course, is the Republican governor of Florida. DeSantis is is a lot of speculation that he is going to run uh, for, for president on the Republican side, depending on what former President uh, Donald Trump does. Newsom <laughs> uh, launched a campaign. He, Newsom is on the ballot this fall in um, California re-election for California governor. Um, but he launched a campaign ad in the state of Florida um, earlier this month attacking DeSantis. Um, so you, you have to wonder if, if Newsom is eyeing 2024 and uh, thinks his opponent, if he does, if Gavin Newsom does run for president, is thinking his opponent might be Ron DeSantis. That would be quite a showdown. Yeah, it, it would be. And these, these things that um, I know a lot of consultants, a lot of PR consultants and uh, running are exactly the kind of ideas that highly paid PR consultants tell you when you're thinking about running for president to gin up press. I mean, this is clearly, this seemed to me to be very obvious um, publicity stunts. The idea that Gavin Newsom would win the state, um, Ron DeSantis' home state of Florida if he didn't run for president, um, it seems highly unlikely. Uh, it seems much more engineered to get press, to generate buzz, which helps with things like fundraising um, for, for Newsom. It's also a way to test the waters. Because what happens is as soon as you do something like this and people start talking about you as a presidential candidate, all the analysts go on TV, everybody starts talking it through, you start getting vetted and you can kind of get a feel for how people are responding to you, what kind of endorsements and fundraising you might be able to get. As soon as you um, 
you know, run a campaign ad against DeSantis and go to the White House and everybody's talking about it, then you see what kind of donors start calling you up to want to get behind you, to start supporting you. You see what, you know, which other senators or members of Congress say, hey, I want to help out. I want to be a part. And you kind of gauge interests within your own party, within the donor class and, with you know, within the media uh, or, or what a presidency uh, run would look like for you. Right. We could probably spend an entire episode speculating about 2024's <laughs> presidential right. campaign. Of course, my home state's governor, uh, billionaire J.B. Pritzker, there's also speculation that he's considering um, a run, depending on what uh, Joe Biden um, decides to do. J.B. Pritzker um, recently uh, gave a very public speech in New Hampshire to Democrats in New Hampshire, which is one of the first uh, states to vote in the primaries. Um, so anyway, <laughs> we still have 2022 midterms to get through. Casey, right. let's uh, let's uh, leave 2024 for down the road, mm-hmm. even though we just spent a lot of time on it. We've got a couple more stories to talk about. Um, Jill Biden, First Lady Jill Biden made some waves this week with her comments comparing uh, Latinos, Hispanics to breakfast tacos. What's the fallout of that? Yeah, you know, First Ladies are kind of like breakfast tacos, Dan. Um, and when it came to Jill Biden this week, was, she was, that was a that very, was Casey. that was not, not Dan, that was Casey. Go ahead. Casey. Oh yeah. And this week, Jill Biden was a very spicy taco. Um, so first lady, Jill Biden, she's done a lot of heat. We're kind of joking about it now, but, um, she, you know, in a big public speech, uh, in a way, it seemed like she was trying to pander or reach out. I don't know, but, um, she compared different types of Hispanics to different types of breakfast tacos, which did, you know, went over about as well as you uh, would expect it did expect it to. And so she immediately got a ton of pushback for this, a ton of um, controversy, all this stuff. Uh, You know, I don't think the first lady can be canceled, but um, she took a lot of pushback. And I reached out to a lot of conservative group or a lot of conservative um, Hispanic groups, different Hispanic groups looked at what they were saying. And um, even, you know, what you might consider uh, left leaning groups were really condemning her for this. Um, I talked to the state um, state chair for the Republican National Hispanic Assembly. I'll just read the quote. It's in the story at thecentersquare.com. But um, this is from Elizabeth Castro Gray. She said, the first lady's comments yesterday comparing Hispanic people to tacos shows yet again Democrats' low regard for our people. She reduced us to a caricature, a stereotype. Miss Biden demonstrated yet again why Hispanics are leaving the Democratic Party in huge numbers. We have little patience for a party that treats us as helpless victims. Who looks to us? little more than a reliable voting block. So that's a, I think that quote really summed up a lot of the different attacks you saw on Twitter, on television, though her, the points in that quote really summed up so many of the points that are being made against um, the first lady. Uh, I think that, you know, we could kind of pile on for good reason, but um, ultimately it seems like just kind of a, a gaffe, which the family is really familiar with the bigger, more interesting is referenced here, which is the Hispanics leaving the Democratic Party in huge numbers, which is probably an overstatement. Um, but we have seen us a, a, a kind of a surge of um, Republican support among Hispanics, which really contradicts kind of the traditional wisdom in Washington D.C. The Beltway wisdom that Hispanics vote Democrat. Um, we've seen, you know, the first Mexican-born um, Congress member. She was elected, and she's a Republican. And Maya Flores, she's been really you know, getting a lot of press attention. And um, so, Dan, you know, I don't know what you would add to this, but it is definitely a big gap, but it really highlights this bigger issue of, you know, how Hispanics relate to to the Democratic Party 
um, especially as they, you know, take some more aggressive shifts on social issues, which the Hispanics are actually more can be more socially conservative um, than, than a lot of white liberals. Right. And, and of course, the, the Latino Hispanic uh, voting bloc is, is going to be key to the, the midterm elections this year, two, two years from now, the presidential election. You've reported on polls that does does show um, uh, uh, more Hispanics, um, more Hispanic voters sort of leaning uh, to the Republican Party. Maybe not as pronounced as some people will make it, but um, be interesting to see what happens there. But again, uh, let's move on. As we mentioned, President Biden is in the Middle East this week, uh, visited um, Israel. Um, he sort of got into it a little bit with some members of his own squad. Real sentiments. Tell the story. That's right. Um, the squad, you know, particularly um, Representative Ilhan Omar, she's been really you know, leading this, and also um, Rashida Tlaib. Uh, they have been two of the most vocal voices that have been against Israel. They've specifically called Israel an apartheid state. Um, which has, you know, sparked a lot of controversy. They've compared the, you know, the U.S. and um, Israel to, uh, you know, Hamas, you know, to terrorist groups, um, the Taliban. And so um, it's just, actually, that was Omar that made that comparison. But to, to, it's really caused a lot of division in the Democratic Party because they made all these comments that are more young, progressive members of the party. Um, it sparked a lot of controversy. And then, you know, Rep. Jerry Nadler, of um, Democrat from New York led a letter really condemning that comparison. So that's like a great example of kind of the, the division within the Democratic Party on this issue. For the most part, it seems like these are a, a few very loud voices that are anti-Israel, whereas the rest of the party is kind of in lockstep support of Israel as an ally. But what made this kind of come to the forefront is Biden, you know, is on this Middle East trip. He was in Israel. He did an interview, a TV interview in Israel um, with N12 News. And they asked him specifically, hey, these Democrats in your party are saying all these things about us. They called us an apartheid state. They want an end for unconditional aid. Basically, what's going on here? And so that really put Biden in a place where he couldn't just say generally, we love Israel. He had to actually address the division within his own party. And this is this is what he said. He said, there, there are a few of them. I think they're wrong. I think they're making a mistake. Israel is a democracy. Israel is our ally. Israel is a friend. And I make no apologies. Um, he went on to talk about giving four billion, you know, several billion dollars to Israel for, for different things. And um, he finished saying, there's no possibility, I think, of the Democratic Party or even a significant portion of the Republican Party walking away from Israel. So he flat out said, these members of the squad are wrong. Um, I reached out to uh, um, Omar's office in Tlaib's. They did not get back to me. I wanted to give them a chance to respond to this. But um, to see that, you know, the leader of the party, um, Biden, directly contradict a couple of the most radical members of his own party on the world stage was just really interesting to see. And at least for now, it seems to have cemented um, the Democratic Party's support uh, for Israel, which at, at one point m maybe was more more of an open question. Well, I'm going to cut you off there, Casey, because you made me promise uh, before we started recording this podcast to save time <laughs> at the end oh, man. For, this, for this one story that you're apparently uh, very excited about mm -hmm. to, talk, to talk about uh, <laughs> oh, man. your story this week about the return of earmarks and pork type projects to mm -hmm. federal spending so what, what why don't you uh, take some time pat yourself on the back tell us about this story yes clearly i was happy about the story dan you might be um, delighted to learn that 
the uh, the center square focuses on taxpayer issues in ways that taxpayer funds are being used with the taxpayer in mind. And so that's for right in the middle of this story um, about the return of congressional earmarks. Several earmarks um, were passed this year in the omnibus appropriations bill, uh, actually $17.7 million in federal funding. They had been gone for like 12 years, you know, uh, over a decade, there were no earmarks and earmarks are where the federal government gives a certain amount of money to a specific project in someone's district. People kind of hated earmarks because it was a way of buying off votes. You know, it, it raised the cost of everything because to get everyone to vote for something, you'd have to give everybody an earmark and the earmarks were spent on crazy things. And, um, and one that was really interesting here, uh, was it $3 million for a, uh, art gallery in Brooklyn. Um, so the, you know, the U S taxpayers in, in West Virginia and Arizona and uh, Colorado and all around the country uh, were taxed and their money sent to Brooklyn to build an earmark. And I just looked at some of the other, uh, you know, some of the other um, galleries that were worthy of the Brooklyn, you know, art gallery uh, paying for itself, or at least getting donations for that didn't come from federal coffers. Um, you know, a woman's afterlife, gender transformation in ancient Egypt is one climate and crisis, environmental change in the indigenous Americas is one, which actually sounds kind of interesting. And then, uh, this one I thought would be really, you probably want to buy your plane ticket now for this one. Um, uh, Dan, but it's Jimmy Desana submission, which features a nude person wearing orange cones on their hands and feet. We spent, whether it's Brooklyn art, uh, your money. Yeah. Brooklyn art galleries or whatever it may be. Okay, so you might be too young to remember this. My favorite, mm. my favorite earmark story, the, the federal funding for the bridge to nowhere. And I'll ask yeah, you this, like, yeah. about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah, I went, I saw the bridge and I also saw Alaska. Uh, or I saw Russia standing on the shore <laughs> there. So, yeah. Well, uh, thank you for bringing taxpayer um perspective to your reporting out of washington dc casey but that's all the time we have this week this has been the america in focus podcast for casey harper i'm dan mccaleb we'll talk to you next week